Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, if you want to turn there. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, well, good morning. Thanks for being here with us as we continue in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. And as was just read, we're in Matthew chapter 4. So if you're already there, I encourage you to stay there. And if you've not made your way to Matthew chapter 4, I encourage you to do so. You know, as we continue into Matthew's gospel, we're coming up to a pivotal event in the earthly ministry of Jesus, and that is the calling of his disciples. And as we're going to see, we gain a fuller understanding of exactly what took place in this moment when we look at some of the other gospel writers. But no matter how much detail we have, the narrative is focused on these fishermen becoming fishers of men. Because when they follow Christ, they will, as a necessary result, come to value what he values and do what he does and love as he loves and pursue what he pursues. And we know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so he is the chief fisher of men. And so their time with him would lead them to become fishers of men. That is, evangelists bringing sinners to their Savior. But of course, what we have here is not merely a historical record of what happened long ago in the ancient Near East to a particular group of men. Our passage presents a picture of what Christ continues to do today, and that is to call people to follow Him. They would be making him the ultimate priority of their lives and being used by him to reach others with the gospel. And so as we walk through our verses, uh, 18 to 22 of Matthew chapter 4, we're going to give special focus to these, these companions, to the command to follow Christ, and the commitment that they showed. So let's first look at the companions, these men that are met by Jesus on this day. Now you might first wonder why I'm referring to them as companions, apart from the fact that it conveniently begins with the letter C. Uh, but they were companions, and more than that, they were business partners. Our passage in Matthew 4 can almost make it seem as if they just happened to be near each other as Jesus walked by. But when we look at the parallel account, in Luke's gospel, we're given a lot more detail of what takes place. So here in Matthew 4, let's look at verse 18, and then we're going to jump over to the fifth chapter of Luke. So in Matthew 4:18, we read, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, I ask that you would look with me briefly and just keep your thumb there in Matthew 4 and head over to Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter and we'll see how more detail is fleshed out because as we've talked about before, the different gospel writers have different priorities, different things that they want to focus on. And so in this instance, Luke's gospel is a little bit more full. We read, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down or let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So you'll see that we gain a little bit more full of a picture of what takes place here by the Sea of Galilee. And we see this greater detail of the encounter that led up to these companions, these partners in their fishing business to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this isn't to say that this is their very first encounter with Jesus. That's the other mistake that you might make if you're not looking at your whole Bible. You see in Matthew 4, you think, wow, they see Jesus for the very first time in their whole life. He says, follow me, and they go, which would be very remarkable. It's remarkable in itself. But we see that's not quite the case. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42 tells us that Prior to this, Andrew had been with John the Baptist when John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God, as Jesus walked by. And so Andrew went to tell his brother Simon, We have found the Messiah. And they followed him, it tells us. They followed him, but not quite in the same sense as we have here in Matthew 4. They knew of Jesus, they believed that he was the Christ, but they had not yet been called by him to forsake all else and follow him full time in his ministry as we have here in Matthew 4. And so at this point, they're still employed as fishermen when Christ comes to call them. And when we hear this, we're we're not in any way surprised 
by what we see here. Other than they obviously displayed a great uh, wisdom to know that they ought to follow Christ and the command of Christ and that they left everything and we see how admirable that is. But it makes sense to us that fishermen would follow Jesus. We who have a bound copy of the New Testament in our hands, we look back at these events and it just fits so nicely that common fishermen should come to follow a rabbi or a teacher in his ministry, even when that rabbi is Christ himself. When we look back with 21st century eyes, we often miss how incredibly unusual this would have been. This is a very humble profession, not one that would have brought any privilege or prestige or admiration. They would have had little of any education, little if any religious training, nothing to suggest fitness for being within shouting distance of the world of the scribes and the Pharisees and rabbis and other religious leaders of the day. These men are not in positions of influence. They have no political power. They have no voice or platform by which to win the hearts and minds of the masses. They're just fishermen. That's it. They're fishermen. And that is exactly who Christ wanted to surround himself with. As we read in 1 Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. These men were not wise according to human standards. They were not powerful. They were not of noble birth. They were fishermen. And we see throughout the New Testament, at times, their hard-headedness. Peter rebuking Jesus regarding his coming sacrifice on the cross. Them wanting to destroy an entire town because of the unbelief that they met with there. Arguing over who would be the greatest. And in one case, sending their mom over to try and persuade Jesus that they should be the greatest fleeing at the arrest of Jesus. These are not perfect men. But Christ knew exactly who these men were and who they weren't. And he chose them to be his disciples. Just like with you and me in salvation, they were not chosen by Jesus because of their great merit and promise but they were chosen by a great Savior and promised much despite their lack of merit. If you are not often surprised that Jesus saved you, you need to be more honest with yourself. So this is not to say, though, that these men were without any good qualities. They were diligent they were hard-working men. When we see them, they're busy casting out and mending their nets. They're using the tools of the trade. As fishermen, they were accustomed to a humble lifestyle. 
They knew what it meant to depend completely on God's provision. They cast the nets out. They yank them up. Either there's fish in them or there's not. After you throw the nets, there's not a whole lot they can do. They're dependent on God. Because of the storms that could arise with little warning on the Sea of Galilee, they were accustomed to danger. They were used to discomfort. And all of these traits and all of these experiences would serve them well as disciples of Jesus Christ. For as Jesus warned a would-be follower, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But the main truth, however, is this. They were not chosen because they could do great things for Jesus, but because Jesus was going to do great things through them. And so as Christ would remind them in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And the same is true for you and for me. We do not choose God. God chooses us and he chooses us in order to go and bear fruit, in order that we might walk in the good works that he has prepared for us beforehand. So having met these men who would be chosen by Christ to bear fruit, let's look at this command to follow him and see what fruit that they are to bear. So secondly, let's look at the command. And I say command because you'll notice that this is not a request. It is not an invitation. It is not even a question. Look at verses 19 and 20. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As we're going to talk about in the moment, we see in a moment, we see that this command of Christ accomplished its perfect work as seen in the immediate response of these fishermen in each instance. But for now, let's spend some time on the command itself. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think we would be served well by simply breaking this sentence down into its constituent parts. First, follow me. Follow me is the command here. Everything that comes after it is the result of following Jesus. When Christ commanded these men to follow him, he was not merely asking for an intellectual assent as to the reality of him being the long-awaited Messiah. He was not telling them to listen closely to his teaching and do their best to emulate him. He was not even calling them to believe in him wholeheartedly. To follow Jesus would, of course, mean literally walking around with him at his leading, following him wherever he went. This would, of course, entail being present at his teaching, witnessing his miracles, having conversations with him, getting to know him intimately. But more than this, to truly follow Jesus would mean to forsake all else to recognize that Christ and his kingdom have the chiefest claim upon their lives. It is to know and to worship and to serve him 
at all and any cost. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To follow Jesus is a call to die to self and to live to Christ. We hear that phrase often of take up your cross and follow me. And and we hear that and we think, okay, follow Jesus without recognizing the emphasis and the weight of taking up your cross. This is a call to come and die. We don't see or hear of executions on a cross. We think of a cross and we think of a necklace or a decoration or a bookmark with the cross on it, this was a means of gruesome execution. Perhaps something that would uh, hit our ears as powerfully would be, you know, for someone to, to drag their electric chair behind them. And we see that and we think how, how strange a mental image, how, how perverse and almost gruesome it is to think of that, proceeding through life, dragging a means of execution behind them, That is what is being got at here. Come and die. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And and most often that that pictures a a dying to self, as Jesus spoke here, deny himself. It means dying to self and again living to Christ. But at times it means much more than that. And it does literally mean following Jesus, though it means the end of your life, as we'll see later here this morning. Follow me, Jesus says. Then he says, I will make you. In following Jesus, these men will not be left as they were. They will be changed. Well, how? By whose initiative will they be changed? I will make you, Jesus says. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is not like a student with a teacher, or an athlete with a coach, where they learn as much as they can, and then it is left to their talent and their work ethic to measure up to the example that they had. For the follower of Christ, we are being made like Christ by the power of Christ. Speaking of our sanctification, that is, the the continual process by which we are made more and more like Jesus... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In Philippians 2.13 Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there is work, there is effort on our part, but it continues. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. As Jesus teaches in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, You can do nothing. It is in following Jesus. It is in 
abiding in Christ that the believer is brought by God into greater conformity to the image of Christ. He works this in us and accomplishes his work. Yes, we must walk in obedience in his commands. That takes great effort and discipline, but he transforms us by his power. This is ultimately the work of God in our lives and is not to be credited to our account. It is he who makes us what he intends for us to be. And in part, that means making us fishers of men. Let's look at that part of this command, that he will make them fishers of men. We see that he's going to take these fishermen and transform them into being fishers of men. And this is a perfect analogy for them. This would, in effect, retain their humble status in the world. It would be to continue their challenging, difficult work in which they have to depend wholly on God's provision. They still are fishermen, but in a new and eternally significant way. And this play on words reveals that rather than literally catching fish for a living, they will instead be figuratively, spiritually catching men. And just as with a farming analogy of of bringing in a harvest of souls, so too will the fishermen catch souls for Christ. And there is no bait, there is no hook, there is no net. And in contrast to fishing, the one caught is plucked from danger and into safety. They would exchange their previous tools of the trade for the word of God in order to catch men and women, lifting them out of this sinful world, which for them is their natural element, as natural as water is to a fish, and pulling them out of that. And the point here is that these men's entire occupation would change, and now their focus would be on putting their full effort into drawing men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this end result of following Jesus is not granted exclusively to these four or even to the full uh, assortment of 12 apostles. It applies to each and every believer in Jesus from his first coming until his second coming. Jesus makes or appoints us as fishers of men when he saves us. And so whatever else your earthly occupation may be, your chief job description now reads, Fisher of Men. Now this is not to say that all who follow Christ are simultaneously called into full-time vocational ministry. But it does mean that whatever else you are, Evangelist is something that you are called and commanded to be. The command to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation is in full effect for every believer. As Jesus said, we are not to hide our light under a basket, but instead we are to shine forth in the darkness so others can see the light of Christ. And surely... This is no burden. 
or at least it ought not be one. Sadly, in our flesh, we allow fear of rejection, awkward conversations, or being thought strange in another's eyes to become so distasteful to us that we come to count evangelism as a burdensome task. But that is only because we are foolish and we do not think rightly about what evangelism is. Evangelism is doing what Andrew did when he first encountered Jesus. He ran off to tell his brother that the Messiah had come. Evangelism is quite literally simply sharing good news. That's what it means. It's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we find it so easy to talk to others about our accomplishments about our family, about our work, about our hobbies, about our interests, should we find it burdensome to speak to them about our Savior? Following Jesus should cause us to be so familiar and therefore so overwhelmed by His work in saving us, in His provision, in His perfection, that we can't help but speak of Him to others. Is salvation not the greatest thing that has ever happened to us? The forgiveness of our sins, the greatest kindness that we have ever been shown. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, the most important thing about who we are. The gospel is good news, so let others know. Any other good news that you receive in your life, you go and you tell other people. First, to those that are closest to you, friends and family. And then if the news is good enough, you find ways to kind of wedge it into conversations with perfect strangers to let them know this good, great thing that you have experienced. And that's good. We just need to recognize that the greatest thing that we have experienced is the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. Follow Him. Become so intimately filled with this joyful truth that you cannot stop talking about it. That is our role as fishers of men. We don't need to fear these conversations. After all, it is still God who does the calling and the converting. As the Puritan Thomas Boston wrote, it is the power of the Spirit that drives any person into the net. That's not our job. We don't have to worry about that. Our part is just to share with others that which we are most passionate about. And if we ever find that we are not, in fact, most passionate about Jesus Christ and His kingdom, we can be sure that this means we need to follow Him more closely. Because if we follow Him, He will make us fishers of men. And while we cannot walk beside him and hear him speak and watch him do miracles as these disciples could, we can read his word. We can commune with him in prayer, follow him, be constantly learning at his feet, sit in awe and wonder at his miracles, obey his commands to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Follow him and he will make you fishers of men. Not only by appointing you as such, there is a promise to be had here in this command, is there not? He will do it. 
Like a fisherman, you won't have success every time. But as you act in obedience, you will have success. If you share the gospel with people, that becomes a natural part of your life, your chief occupation, you will catch fish. You will be used by God to harvest men's souls. And many of us feel inadequate in our evangelism. We'll follow Jesus and he will make you into what he wants you to be. It doesn't mean it takes no effort. It doesn't mean that you won't trip and fall and fail and feel foolish or, or have someone react poorly or not react at all. All those things are still true. It does take effort. And yet we recognize that it is Christ that brings the fruit in us. It is God who ultimately makes us into fishers of men, gives us the words to speak in spiritual conversations, and ultimately is the one who does the calling of souls and of sinners to follow Jesus Christ. Evangelism, spreading the good news about Jesus to those who need the gospel, is a vital, mean, uh, vital part of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is the work that Andrew and Simon and James and John were called to. It comes from following Jesus. But this is no small commitment. This takes a lot of commitment, as we'll see here. Let's look thirdly and finally at the commitment that they showed. We've already seen that these men immediately followed Jesus. Verse 19, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's just one word, but think of how profound a fact that it is that these men immediately followed after Jesus. Verse 19 makes it clear that they just, they just left their nets where they were, and followed him. Verse 22, they left their boat and their father. That is, they left their livelihood and their family. Truly, the cause of Christ is a commitment of greater importance than any occupation or even the strongest of family ties. We do not read of these men as we do of other would-be followers of Jesus Christ, that they first made any request to go and put their affairs in order or haggle over retaining some earthly position or possession. Immediately, they followed Christ. They did not ask what exactly it was that they would be doing or where they would go or when they would get there. They didn't need to know exactly where they were going because they knew exactly who they were following. These men gave up everything and forsook all else to follow Christ. Before it was done, they would sacrifice much more. Andrew would be crucified on an X-shaped cross. John Fox records that Peter met his death by crucifixion at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. It is reported that he asked to be and was crucified upside down as he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. 
Acts 12, 2 tells us that King Herod killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. It seems out of all of Christ's apostles, only one, only John, would escape a martyr's death. Instead, he was severely mistreated, exiled to the Isle of Patmos during the rule of Domitian. After Domitian's death, John returned to Ephesus, continued to minister, and would die at about 100 years old. But we don't need to feel pity for these men who gave up all earthly claims and met terrible ends for the cause of Christ. They did not feel that they had made a poor choice. In fact, it is recorded that Andrew met his fate by exclaiming, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously I come to you, being the scholar of him who did hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearn to embrace you. It is also said that he preached the gospel to his executioners over the two days that it took for him to die. How is that possible? Because these men knew the truth of what Jesus had said to them that night when the rich young ruler decided not to follow Jesus because he had great wealth. And after this took place, Peter said, See, we have left everything and followed you. What, what will we have? Jesus' reply, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And as we do each week and as we did this morning, when that prayer includes a prayer for brothers and sisters in Christ in these persecuted countries where this is far more real and immediate to them than it is for us. That is why you hear accounts of men and women who endure beatings, imprisonment, the loss of all worldly goods, the loss of family, family who even turn on them, family who attempt to kill them, to disown them, and yet they do not count that as too high a price for Jesus Christ. As missionary Jim Elliott wrote in his diary years before his own martyrdom on the mission field, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These men obeyed the command of Christ, counting their role as followers of Jesus and as fishers of men to be more valuable than life itself. So what are we to glean from this important event in the earthly ministry of Christ? We, of course, see these great examples. We can be inspired by them. But what does this mean for you and for me and for our walk with Jesus? Well, let me end with a few points of application. If you are in Christ... It is to recognize that it is not your own doing, but being chosen by God that you receive salvation. So stay humble. Do not withhold the gospel from anyone else because you don't think that they'd probably accept it anyhow. 
It is not our task to determine who is or who is not likely to respond to the call of Christ. Proclaim the gospel and recognize that you do it as one sinner to another. For those who are not in Christ, we see here that there's no reason to view themselves as being unable to be saved by him because of their humble station in life. The Lord delights to bring sinners to salvation, no matter how unlikely that may seem in the world's eyes. And so there is no reason for a person to think, I could not be saved. I'm just a fisherman, student, stay-at-home mom, whatever. There's no, there's no station in life that someone could think of. Nor is there the opposite, that they have some great station in life and feel that Christ cannot save them. Nor is it right for them to look at themselves when they are saved and say that they can do nothing for Christ, that they have nothing to offer Jesus because they have limited education, limited finances, limited time, limited ability. That is to look on yourself with the world's eyes and not see that Christ can use unlikely people to do amazing things, and that is what he is pleased to do again and again and again. We see here that to follow Jesus Christ means to follow him completely. There are no part-time Christians in your Bibles. To be in Christ is to keep him far above all other earthly priorities, even forsaking them entirely in order to go where he leads you. Fourthly, we see that while he leads us into different areas of service, it is clear that each and every one of us is called to be about the business of furthering Christ's kingdom through evangelism. You and I are called to be fishers of men, and therefore we must go fishing. You would not think much of someone who considers themselves a fisherman when you find out that they never, ever go fishing. Well, if we are to be fishers of men, if we are to be evangelists, we must be having evangelistic conversations. And that can look many different ways. It doesn't have to look exactly like the way that scares you the most. Uh, and that might be going door to door and talking to a complete stranger and jumping immediately to a spiritual conversation. But what it does mean is that we are always seeking and creating opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ and his gospel. To be a fisher of men, to be an evangelist, does not mean simply telling God that you are willing to do so if God has that opportunity present itself, by which we mean there's no escaping it. Instead, again, we need to seek those opportunities. We need to create those opportunities, and we need to go fishing. Finally, no matter what other costs we might incur in this life as a result of faithfulness to Jesus Christ, whether that be livelihood or we lose friendships or family or possessions, that we lose our prominent role in a culture that is quickly 
heading to further and further wickedness. Whether it means we lose our very lives, we can, to paraphrase the Apostle Paul, count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. For His sake we can suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that we might gain Christ. Let us take this passage as a reminder to be wholehearted in our commitment to follow Jesus Christ, wandering neither to the left nor to the right, but going wherever He leads. Let us be willing to immediately drop all else in order to follow Him more closely and to obey Him in our calling to draw others to the Savior of their souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truths that are recorded in your word. We thank you for what we see here, what you did in the lives of these simple, humble fishermen, what you did in and through them should astonish us. We pray, Lord, that we would be as willing to be used by you, as committed to follow you, that we might look at our own lives and be astonished at what you have done in and through them for the glory of your name, for the furthering of your kingdom, and for the rescue of men's souls. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Clay, for so faithfully bringing us the word this morning. We've reached the point in our service that we do every week where we come to celebrate at the Lord's table. And we do this every week because we believe this is something that is that our, our entire worship service, our, our worship rhythm is building to the Lord's Supper. It's building to remembering the shed blood, the broken body of our Lord, the, the new covenant instituted in His blood. So we don't, we don't save this for once a month or save this for once a quarter. We, we, we come to this weekly, to weekly be reminded, this, this physical, tangible reminder of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, that as we consume those, we are, we are taking the sacrifice of Christ that was made once for all. We are, we are symbolically consuming that as we are claiming His shed blood and His broken body as effectual for us. That that is our claim to righteousness, to being forgiven by God, that our sins have been forgiven as we claim that sacrifice of Christ. I'm thinking upon our, our, our text this morning. It's just the reminder of what it is to really trust in Christ. It's, it's to follow Christ. And the intimacy of that relationship of the disciple of Christ. We've already seen John the Baptist and Jesus after him both saying, repent, a general call to all who had ears, repent and believe because the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see in this passage this morning, this, this intimate, specific calling that Jesus was making to these men, to these disciples, 
to forsake everything and to follow Him. So this morning, if you have answered that call of Christ to leave everything behind, to be willing to, to, bury that, to carry that cross, to bear that burden, to be willing to follow Christ, because elsewhere in Scripture we read that the disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like the Master. And we know, because we have the, the fullness of God's Word here, what the fullness of the work of Christ was. We're celebrating that this morning. His broken body and shed blood. So if we would be made like our Master, if we would be made complete as a disciple of Christ, we must have that view in mind to carry that cross, knowing that it will cost us everything. And that's what it's like to be a fully trained disciple of Christ. To be, to be willing to be made like Him, to follow Him in the likeness of His work. And none of us here may endure martyrdom. But some of us might. And in the history of the church, it was much more common for people to know someone who suffered physically for their faith than it was for people to not know anybody. So, in this church, we, we celebrate a, a close communion, meaning that if you are of like faith and practice, if you are of someone who is trusting in Christ for your salvation, then you are welcome to join in and in to celebrate this with us. So this morning, if, if you have embraced that call, if you have followed Christ, if you have been willing to carry that cross, to forsake whatever else might have been your identity, might have been your life, and now your life is about Christ, the one who saved you, the one who shed his blood for you. And if you are clinging to the sacrifice of Christ and to the righteousness of Christ for your standing before God, then you are welcome. I don't believe that Scripture demands that you be sinless for the week approaching in order to be able to celebrate communion, or that you have to remember every single thing you possibly might have done to offend somebody, lest you be taking it unworthily. No, to take it worthily is to be taking it in faith, to be accepting it as a physical representation of the faith that you have moment by moment each day you walk about your lives as you are trusting in the blood and the body of Christ. Of course, that does come with the warning that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 11. If you are not walking in faith, if you are not trusting in Christ, if that is not your hope and your steadfast foundation, then don't. Don't partake. Be made right with God. But if you have followed that call and you are walking in not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ by faith, then you're welcome to come and join. In just a moment, I'm going to ask if you would if you'd come forward, and, and whether you choose to do so by household or by individual, to be able to come forward and, and to partake or to grab of the elements and to bring them back to your seat. And in just a moment, we will we'll take those together. <clears throat>